Welcome to Two Guys, Three Crowns, the podcast that talks about what it's really like to live in Stockholm, Sweden. I'm Sean, and with my fellow American Rodney, we break down the good, the bad, and the just plain weird. It's quite the journey, so join us for the ride. A hundred bottles of craft beer on the wall, a hundred craft bottles of beer, Take one down, pass it around. Ninety-nine craft bottles of beer on the wall. Hey, that that's that's actually pretty tough. That that's actually a <laughs> your a rhythm little, was a little a bit little off. off. Okay, Sean, uh, we have a guest today, and I'm going to actually uh, prep this or preface this by saying that um, the person that we have joining us today is somebody that I actually got a tip from my wife, uh, who had gotten a copy of the Skåne magazine from her mother, because we're keeping up with the Skåne Times down there. And there mm-hmm. was an article, there was an article about this gentleman in the Skåne magazine and about his craft brewery down in Malmö. So today we have... Say Jeff- no more, yeah, say yeah, no yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So today we actually have Jeffrey Scott Brown with us today. Woo! Yeah. <sighs> Uh, yeah, so welcome, welcome, Jeffrey. Yeah, it is a pleasure to have us uh, to to have you here with us. And I think what we what we're typically what we typically do is before we get into what you're doing here now is what brought you to Sweden and brought you to Malmö. How did you end up in okay. Malmö? Well, it's kind of a long story. Um, I. Uh, I was working at the San Francisco airport. I worked there for 17 years. I was injured. Um, I'd split up with my first wife uh, after 10 years. I had this big house. I was all alone. And um, when I was in college, I trained under a French chef. And okay. I had, I had I was had a passion for cooking. Wow. I'd always cook, cooked my whole life. And so I made a deal with the insurance company to retrain me. Huh. And so I resigned from my job. Um, and I, I got accepted into a school in Paris, and I went to wow. a chef school in Paris, and uh, the insurance company paid for the whole thing, and it was what they call a vocational rehabilitation, right. and I was actually the first voc rehab in the history of the state of California to go outside of the country for education. <laughs> and uh, so I went to Paris. The system. Yeah. I went to Paris. I sold my house. I had, uh, yeah, about $100,000 in my pocket. And um, I got an apartment in the left bank, and I lived there for two years. And I, I didn't really work. I just lived off my savings. And during that time, I got a master's in French cuisine and a master's in French pastry. Wow. And then um, <laughs> I ended up, by chance, after an internship working at the Hotel Ritz in the Ritz Club with uh, the head chef, Dominic Fonseca. And... Uh, yeah, it's kind of a crazy story about how I just, by a stroke of luck, I got in there. <laughs> uh, I, t- I, I tell it more in detail. There's a blog on my on my website, southplains.se, uh, yeah. under the brewer. You can read the story if you like. Okay. Um, well, uh, while I was in Dan- while I was in school, before I left for Paris, you know, I, I had lived in Colombia earlier. My my first wife was from Barranquilla, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. so I knew the importance of speaking Spanish in Colombia, and I also knew in France that I would need to speak French. And so, you know, since I sold my house and I had a lot of money, well, I just hired a tutor and she came to my house every day. And um, 
and she oh, taught boy. me French. And I, I mean, she, she studied, I studied with her for six months before I left. So that when I got to Paris, I actually spoke pretty good French. Okay. Uh, and then while I was there the entire time, I continued studying French. And I went to, um, I went to a school there and uh, by Père Lachaise. And um, so in the, kitchen, in the French kitchens, nobody spoke English. Hmm. And so I had to speak French in the kitchens. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so um, uh, while I was in language school, I started dating a girl from my class uh, and her name was Sasha and she was Danish. Okay. And she was um, going to school in Copenhagen and was doing a minor in French and was working as an au pair in Paris for a year. Hmm. And so um, afterwards, after I finished and, you know, I had always planned to stay in France, but me as an American, I would either have to marry a French girl or have specialized skills. Right. And being specialized in French cuisine is not specialized <laughs> in France. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so we, we came back and I, I, tried, I said, well, we could try it. And we, we went to, to Copenhagen and we fought Danish immigration for like a year. Wow. And uh, finally, we gave up. I had a friend of mine that was an attorney, another guy from this school in, in Paris, and he was a Danish attorney. He'd worked for the Justice Department. And um, uh, yeah, we got married uh, trying to stay in Copenhagen, and they mm -hmm. wouldn't even accept that. And okay. wow. um, yeah. then anyways, we came to Malmo, and um, she was able to finish her school in Copenhagen, and Sweden gave me a five-year residence and work permit right off the bat. Boom. Oh, wow. So here wow. I am. Okay. Uh, that was like 2002. Right. Now I've got um, uh, four children, uh, two 18-year-old boys that are twin, a girl that's uh, 15, and a boy that's 14. Wow. Living the dream. Yeah. Holy and uh, so I worked as a chef. I did catering. I did weddings. I did wedding cakes. I did all kinds of desserts um, for about 10 years. And then in 2012, I was tired of cooking, and I launched this microbrewery. Oh, that's a bit so, of a leap, though, isn't it? Going from yeah, pastry to it is. Brewery? Well, it is. I was a longtime home brewer back in the states, uh -huh. and uh, yeah, yeah, it was a leap. Um, it was a leap on the the scale that I was doing, right? Because I was doing twelve hundred liter batches where I used to do twenty liter batches. Yeah. <laughs> you wow. Know? Uh, and but. Um, I'm kind of a, a jack of all trades where I can build and fix anything. And so uh, I, we started looking at the costs and I had a partner that I was working with. I had been doing dinner parties at this uh, farmhouse called Three Lily Buds in uh, Holviken, Vellinga area. And uh, the guy would go down to South Africa in the wintertime. Mm -hmm. And um, I had the farmhouse to myself and I threw parties there and big dinner parties, like 50, 60 people. I do like five, six courses, very gourmet. And then in the in the summertime or in the wintertime when he was gone, I started brewing batches of beer out in the garage, out in the out in the barn. And man, he thought it was like the best beer he ever had. So he convinced me actually to open a microbrewery. Okay. And uh, so we we started the company. And first of all, we were going to call it Brown and Paulson. His name is Anders Paulson. Okay. And then we thought about calling it Paulson and Brown. And then and then I said, you know, what's the name of this area called? And he said, well, it's Sodersleth. And I'm like, well, what's that mean in Swedish? And he's like, well, it'd be South Plains. Oh, I'm like, I think that sounds like a great name. Okay, that sounds like a great yes. name for a brewery. Yeah. So yes. we, I, I, I formed a company and I, uh, with Bullogs record and I registered it. 
And then when we started looking at the costs, you know, it's like two, three, five million to start up for brewery equipment. Well, he kind of backed out. Mm. And uh, then also he was like divesting from some Swedish interests in Sweden and didn't want to start another business. And so anyways, mm. I thought I wasn't sure yeah. I could do it by myself, but I managed to um, buy used brewing equipment from Bamberg in southern Germany. You okay. know, they've got football, football fields of old brewing equipment down there. Yeah. And um, and I built this brewery in 2012 for about 200,000 kroner. Oh, and that's wow. that's with yeah that's with um a 1200 liter kettle a 1200 liter mash tun which is oversized for a mash tun but with that i can do high gravity beers like 10 12 percent beers uh a 750 hot liter hot water tank and then uh three 900 liter fermenting tanks which are actually transport tanks um and then so you're I like bought a real deal production but on like moonshiner costs Yes, yes. And uh, <laughs> then I um, I bought a new steam generator in Italy to, to power it all because I'm a little bit afraid of steam generators. I didn't want a used one. Hmm. Uh, I saw lots of used ones on Blockit, and they were like wood-fired, and I'm like, I don't want that. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, so I bought a new steam generator. It was about uh, 2,500 euro. And uh, hmm. yeah, I put it all together and had it up and running and just weld, you know, got a welder in at the time. I'm doing some welding now, but at the time I had a stainless steel welder do everything. Um, and, uh, I was up and running and producing beer, but then, you know, there was a lot to learn because, mm. you know, I have been cooking all my life. Right. Uh, when I was five years old, I, I won the apple pie contest at my school and I've been so, cooking ever since. Yeah. And, uh, I love it. Yeah. um, and you know, the thing is when I cooked, I rarely made mistakes yeah. because I had already made all my mistakes. Right. I'd made every mistake you could possibly make in cooking, and yeah, I yeah. remembered them, and I didn't really make them anymore. Right. Sure. But starting something new like brewing, well, I had a lot of mistakes to learn from. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and yeah. so it took me some time, but, uh, you know, I learned a lot of mistakes, and then I learned the way to do it. And um, I was able to brew a simple batch of beer, but maybe batch number two didn't quite taste exactly like batch number one. And the reason is, is because you have to get all your parameters exactly right. It has to be mm -hmm. the right volumes, the right pH values, mm -hmm. the right temperature, the right pressure, uh, all these things. Uh, the, the time limits of everything that you do has to be exactly the same. And mm -hmm. only when you do it exactly like that and keep really good records can you get consistent. batches that yeah. consistent batches that are the same. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a really I mean, hard thing. It's a good thing you used to be a French pastry chef then, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, because we did exactly, we weighed everything. I yeah, had a little yeah. gram scale, and I would weigh everything out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, before, I balanced flavors with food, and uh, now I'm balancing flavors with beer. So, in a okay. sense, they're similar. Okay. Now, now, when, um, Jeffy, when did you, when did you, the brewery has been around since 2012, is that? Yes. Okay. Yes, and, you know, it was, um, since I was on a budget, it was hard to find a location. Mm -hmm. uh, and I found an old sausage factory in an area called Nora Grengefersgatten, which is like where all the Arabic car shops are. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it was that. It was an old sausage factory, and uh, it was made for food production. So it had um, trench drains, uh, oh, heavy-duty cool. electricity. Um, yeah. um, it had heavy-duty ventilation. It was a small place, about 100 meters, but mm. it worked for me. 
and uh, he made me a deal to get in cheap. And uh, so it was it was a great location for me. And I was there for nine years. And then after nine years, I just kind of outgrew it. Right. And then a, a year ago in July, I moved to this larger location in North Hammond. Okay. And now I've increased increased production up to uh, I've got have twenty four thousand liter capacity now. Holy <laughs> so, yeah, I started out with twenty seven hundred liter. I had three nine hundred liter tanks. Yeah, but that, um, that's amazing. Yeah, I um, I I I had bought uh, three twenty five hundred liter tanks a year and a half ago. Well, in January twenty twenty, oh. uh, whenever that was, um, in China, <laughs> and I got a great price on them. Yeah. I got a great price on them. And then, so she said, okay, it's going to take like 12 weeks to make them. So they were going to make them. And then it's like eight weeks on the ocean to get here. Right. So, oh, yeah. yeah, several months, yeah. several months. Yeah. So anyways, uh, she said she wanted me to pay half up front and half when they're ready. Yeah. And then it was about February 2020. And then Corona hit. Ooh, okay. And then the day that I was ready to pay. Yeah. They shut down the banks in the U.S. Oh, no. And all that. And you know what happened to the dollar? Mm. It rocketed down. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden, I looked at the exchange rate, and it <laughs> hardly cost anything to buy those tanks. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I looked at it, and I said, can this be right? And then I wrote her back in China, and I said, do you mind if I pay them all right now? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like sure and i said the dollars dropped incredibly yeah 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 and she's like sure sure you can pay them and so i paid the whole thing and i i mean i paid about i saved about um yeah. oh i don't know maybe yeah. maybe 20 30 kroner wow. just okay. on the exchange rate right wow it was it was yeah. substantial yeah yeah and it was just a stroke of luck and it didn't happen again like that it never i always watched the dollar it never dropped like that again from the time that Corona hit, yeah. and it was just one of those Absolutely. things. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, Jeffrey, what type of uh, what your the selection that you? Yeah. Uh, that okay, you... I started out doing um, like American Pale Ale, hmm. and the reason was when I came to Sweden, I tasted some American Pale Ales, and you know I'd always heard so much about the beers in Europe, hmm. and you know I traveled in Germany a lot, and I love German beers, and I traveled in Holland and I traveled uh, in Belgium and I love the lambics and I traveled in uh, England. I like all the ales and all mm. that. And uh, when I got here, well, I mean, they had, you know, some of the regular beers, they were okay. Uh, like Spindrips or Prips or mm. uh, Carlsberg. And I always liked Carlsberg and Tuborg a lot. Uh, but then when I tasted like Swedish American pale ale, well, it tasted, it didn't really taste like American mm. pale ale. It tasted more like an English pale ale. Pale ale. Okay. And when I tasted mm. India pale ale, it didn't really taste like an American pale ale. Mm. It tastes like an English IPA. Mm. And so I was kind of disappointed. And so I kind of wanted to do something. And that was one thing that was kind of bothering me that I felt like I really need to show them how it's really supposed to taste. Right. Uh, and, you know, if you go to California and drink it there, it's wonderful on tap. But if you take the beer in California and you ship it through the Panama Canal and it takes six weeks to get here and it's got hot, yeah. cold, hot, cold, mm. well, it's not all that good by the time it gets here. Mm. It's still pretty good, yeah. but it's nothing like what it was. Right. And so even the beer in Sustainable it wasn't all that great. Mm -hmm. And so when I started in 2012, my, my concept was to do fresh 
American style beer like you would get in California. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of people loved it, but a, a lot of people it was it was way too weird for them. Hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. And they were like, you know, I've never tasted anything like this. This is this thing right? Is this infected? Yeah. What's wrong with this? <laughs> I'm like, you know, it costs. I spend so much money on hops to get that flavor like that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And so it took a long time, but now in so in 2012, when I did my American Pale Ale, it was considered extreme. Mm. And now it's not. Right. And now every Swedish microbrewery is doing a classic New England IPA or mm. a classic uh, American IPA. And right. they're true to style. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you when you started or when you were getting, getting rolling, uh, how many, say, craft breweries were, were down in your area? We're down in Malmö. Well, actually, um, these guys came to me in 2013, mm. and they wrote a book. And the book is called uh, Svensk uh, Rebel Brigger or something. I can't remember the name of it now. It's okay. like the Swedish Re Re Rebel Brewers. Okay. And they wrote it on, um, on uh, seven microbreweries in 2013 that were changing the culture, the beer culture of Sweden. Yeah. And one chapter was on me. There you yeah. go. There and you they go. and they went to they they brought down photographers down to Nordvegenhusgatan, and they thought it was a bad area. You know, they were kind of nervous to be in there. And then on the on the head the headline of my brewery area, it said "Brewer in the Hood." Oh, but um, you know, there was there was. Um, maybe three or four down here in Skona, mm -hmm. five, and then, yeah. And now there's hundreds, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because I remember that you had, <clears throat> you had mentioned seven, and then, like, now that it was hundreds. That yes. Is, yeah. 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 But there's, there was Ocean in Gothenburg, and, mm. uh, yeah, there was there was quite a few around. Brekkeriet was around. Lundabrekkeriet was around. Brekkeriet Finn had just started up. A Mammal Brewing Company, but they just serve beer on taps there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And now, so you're kind of one of the the OG godfathers of craft brewing around in the scene. Yeah, right? but you You've know, been at it a little while. Yeah, sure. Uh, but you know, I, I'm pretty low key, and um, I don't make much of it. I just kind of keep quiet and keep to myself and do my own thing. I'm not out there, you know, banging my drums or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. But even after all these years, like, what's is there something that's still like the the bane of your existence? Like what's the thing that you're always like in a new batch? Like, oh, here we go. Is it like a pH balancing the pH uh, levels? It's always like that. Yeah, you know, it's uh, like... well, as a chef, you know, I've just got a million ideas. And mm -hmm. so I'm just full of creativity. And um, I design my own labels. Mm -hmm. um, and um uh, yeah, I've just got a million ideas, but the thing is, I'm kind of limited on how much I can do. Like right now, I've got five clean beers, and when I say clean beer, I mean like uh, I've got a, an American Pale Ale, six percent. I've got a six point seven percent IPA. Mm -hmm. I've got a seven point one percent Black IPA. I've got a ten percent Stout, and a seven and a half percent Saison. Those are my five clean beers, mm -hmm. and then I've got five sour, six sour beers. And they're under another label called Funky Land. And mm -hmm. my Funky Land beers are like 
an American sour beer, which is kind of a modern version of the classic, classic Belgian lambic. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in, in Belgium, they've been doing it, the monks have been doing it for centuries, uh, where they would do a spontaneous fermentation in a cool ship and then uh, put Britannomyces on and then put it in barrels and age it for a year. Mm -hmm. And then you've got, uh, you know, lambic. And they would put on fruit like peaches or cherries. But I'm doing it more like the fruits I use is like passion fruit and mango mm -hmm. and elderberry. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I've got sea buckthorn, which is half torn in, in Swedish. Mm -hmm. And I've got... Um, I've got all kinds of stuff. And so it's a little bit more progressive, you could say. Mm -hmm. Now, um, when you like when you want to experiment or when you want to do things, I'm just wondering, can you do things on a smaller scale or do you do things on a smaller scale when you're testing? No, I haven't or? done that since I started. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, when I first started, before I did it, I brewed like five batches of the American Pale Ale. Mm -hmm. And that was before I started. That was like in 2011, past batches. But since then, you know, I just, I know it so well, I just go for it. Right. Yeah. Now, what, what was the, the name of the other one? Sean, you knew what it was. Kom, kombu, kom, oh, kombucha. 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 Yeah. Right. Then I've got, I've got, um, I've got five types of kombucha <laughs> and I've got one tank that's dedicated to kombucha. It's a 2,500 wow. liter tank. Wow. And I mean, I got a piece of Scooby that's about um, <laughs> a meter and a half wide and I don't know, very thick. Yeah. And I just fill it up and give it a month and empty it and fill it up and give it a yeah. month. And actually I put, I put, um, about 60 liters down of kombucha and put it down for a year. And right. you know, over time it gets super sour Yeah. and it gets so sour. It's like vinegar mm -hmm. after a year when you age kombucha. Wow. And so now I'm releasing kombucha vinegar. Okay. And I've got a new label. I've got a new label for it. And you know, with a little olive oil yeah. and kombucha vinegar on a salad is wonderful. Bam. Wow. I'm yeah. seeing the too many and ideas so, things coming out right now. Yeah. And so this will this will be a product that we're just going to sell at our boutique at the brewery for now. I don't know if I'll have that in grocery stores. But I ordered some labels and I ordered some when I ordered bottles from Poland, I just ordered some small uh, 200 milliliter um yeah, oil bottles mm. and with uh, like plastic caps that twist on and lock in place. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so, nice. uh, yeah, I'm ready to bottle my kombucha vinegar. Yeah. I've also got red wine vinegar going. Um, you know, the red wine vinegar comes from a mother, uh, like a, it's like a, it's like a thick sediment that's in the bottom of the barrel. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what gives the vinegar its flavor. And you put wine in and it will ferment that into acetic acid. And it turns it into vinegar. Mm. And so, of course, you have to use wine that has no chemicals or additives. If you had sulfites, it won't work. Right. Uh, <clears throat> when I lived in San Francisco, my neighbors were Italian. And they had come over in like the 50s. Mm. And all Italian families that immigrated to San Francisco brought their vinegar barrel. Ah. And when they got there, they filled it with red wines. And so I was able to get some mother from this family's vinegar barrel and I've had it grown Ooh. since like 1990s wow. and it makes really good vinegar, really nice, strong, <laughs> strong vinegar. Yeah. Like yeah. legit so, straight from the source. That's amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. Anyways, yeah. Uh, back on the kombucha. So I've got, um, let's see, I've got passion fruit hibiscus. I've got mango lime. Mm. 
I've got natural. Um, gosh, I'm kind of blanking out now. Um, <laughs> I've got blackberry ginger. And then I've got one apricot mint. And that one has sold the least. And so actually, okay. I'm taking that out right now. Uh, I love apricot, but apricot didn't sell that well here. Um, and so I'm replacing it with what I love is this, the sea buckthorn, which is the half torn. I'm replacing that on a kombucha. And then also I've got a new berry called chokeberries. And they're called, in Swedish, it's aronia, aronia right. bar or something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, dark. And, you know, they're they're like a super fruit, like, um, like uh, super passion. healthy. Yeah, it's like that mm. Brazilian, um, that Brazilian little blue fruit. Uh, yes, yes, it's like that. And so it's really, really good for you. Uh, and it kind of tastes like kind of a blackberry, blueberry, mm. sour grapes flavor. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's kind of kind of funny about the uh, uh, with the with the apricots. I'm thinking for a country that likes to put bananas on pizza, uh, <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah, uh, but bananas uh, on pizza—that's everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. When my when my um, wife was pregnant with the twins, she couldn't eat for like six weeks, and she never eat. Finally, we were ready to take her to the hospital because she couldn't eat everything she would eat. She'd throw up. Yes. And then I came home from work one day. And she said, I ate. I'm like, what did you eat? And she's like, uh, banana Hawaiian pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, pregnant, you know, they have these weird uh, oh, cravings. Yeah, 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 yeah. That must have been how they invented the banana curry chicken pizza yeah. in the first yeah. place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, Jeffrey, do you have, because we're heading into winter. Christmas is yeah. right around the corner. Do you have like Christmas? I do. Yeah. I have two Christmas beers coming out. Okay. Um, matter of fact, we're shipping them out. We shipped some out last week. We're shipping mm -hmm. others out this next week. Uh, I have a winter ale, which is a dark, old-fashioned style mm -hmm. ale, and it's lightly spiced with orange peel, vanilla, ginger, and cinnamon. Okay. Very light. Yeah. So you just, like when you take a drink, you just get a hint of it. Yeah. It's very subtle and just a hint. It's not strong at all. Uh, then I also have um, a, a Funky Land Christmas beer, and it's called Red Christmas. <laughs> it's called Red Christmas, and right on top it says in very small letters, "I'm dreaming of a Red uh, Christmas." Christmas, nice. <laughs> and it's a sour red beer. It's got um, uh, elderberries, red currants strawberries um what else uh rhubarb and hibiscus and mm -hmm. it's very sour and it's a bright red color okay yeah i can imagine that'd be red red yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um you had also mentioned or i saw when i was on the website about hopapalooza hopapalooza sure yeah and that's that's your and so I'm the organizer and the promoter of Hapapalooza. Mm. And it started in 2014 uh, just to promote the local craft beer industry. Mm. And uh, yes. we, I talked with some other breweries, and we kind of all agreed that something needed to be done. And I'd kind of hoped that somebody else would do it or that we could do it together. But uh, everyone was kind of afraid. They thought, you know, we could lose money. Mm. And um, so um, I said I'd do it. And there was seven, seven microbreweries we got together. And they said that if I did it 
And if we lost money, everyone would split the cost with me. Mm. So nice. I agreed to do it. Nice. So I got a band lined up. The band was called Eftersome Fisk. Mm. And uh, they played like uh, psychedelic trance lounge music. Cool. And um, wow. I had a I had a friend of mine that did um, uh, was a chef. And he came and worked with me. Matan Levy is his name. Mm -hmm. And uh, he we did some vegetarian food and we grilled some sausages and we I don't know what we did some chicken mm -hmm. or something. And we made a plate like a plate of the day for everybody. Okay. And we sold it pretty cheap. And yeah, we had about um, maybe 300 people come. Right. And we we charged people 250 crowns to get in the door. And with that, nice. they got a beer glass. Nice. Yeah, beer glass that says Hoppapalooza and a t-shirt. Hmm. And uh, then once inside, all beers were 20 kroners. And we had, like I said, we had seven microbreweries, and hmm. they all had about five or six. So we had about 40 beers to taste. Hmm. And people loved it. And then we did it again the next year. And, you know, it's, it's in the end of July. And it was really nice. But it looked like it was going to rain that day. Oh. But I had I had tents. Okay. And sure enough, about an hour after it started, it just poured down. And it's an outside <laughs> festival. It's an outside festival yeah. uh, in our parking lot, in like this rundown industrial area, and uh, <laughs> everybody just crowded under the tents. And you know what it is in Sweden? It comes through. It rains hard for ten minutes, and then the sun comes out and it's gone. Yeah. And that's the way it is. And, you know, any time of the year, it can rain like that in Sweden. Right. Um, and so it, that's why it's kind of tricky to do an outdoor festival here. Right. Um, but then after the sun came out, you know, like a lot of people, they were kind of watching the weather. And as soon as the sun broke, they mm. went to Hoppapalooza. Mm. Well, the next mm. day in Sudsvenskan, they had a picture of – a line going around the corner and up six blocks. <laughs> the wow. line to get in. Yeah. yeah. Word is out. Yeah. It was like, it was like a thousand people came at once. Oh. And um, we got him in, we got him in eventually. Yeah. Um, and uh, anyways, then it's gone on uh, more and more. And then three years ago or four years ago, I got in touch with the city of Malmo and they liked what I was doing so much. But they thought if I could move it to another location, like a big park, and they would get me a park. Huh. So they got me Bayer's Park in Chesterberg. It's a really nice yes. park. And it has a stage. Ah, and oh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I was able to set up a sound system with a stage. I had like 10 bands lined up. I had several hard rock bands, but I also had country western, Motown, blues, hmm. jazz. I had all kinds of stuff. Uh, and so then I had like eight food trucks and it's local food trucks, but I've even got one, uh, Jeffrey's burgers comes from Stockholm. Okay. Uh, and, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, it's local, it's Sweden. Um, and then I had 25 local breweries. I had about 150 beers on tap, local beers, which are beers you've never heard of. Hmm. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> we had about 8,000 people. And poured about thirty thousand beers. Wow! It's a big deal. Yeah. We had about a million crowns in revenue. Now uh, most of that goes to the breweries. Yeah, uh, for and, sure. And yeah. there's a lot of expenses and stuff. But yeah, but the main thing is to promote the local craft beer industry. Right. Because yeah, you go to sure. you go to the big beer festivals, and it's all about Spenderups and Carlsberg. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. And it's their money, so why not? They're paying sure. for it. 
Sure. Yeah. Uh, and um, so at this festival, there was no mass-produced beers and no beers with a massive carbon footprint. Right. Only locally produced. Nice. Yeah. Now, I, I mean, I had one year I had uh, uh, Arvid came from Uppsala, from Temple, mm-hmm. Temple Brewing, uh, and that's pretty far, Uppsala. And then I mean, so and I had some come from Copenhagen, which is much closer than Uppsala. Um, and so it kind of depends, but I go on a local level. But I had like some Copenhagen guys; they wanted to bring a cider, and uh, I said, "Well, where's it made?" And they're like, "Well, it's made in England." And I'm just like, "Sorry, man, you can't come. It's it's, it's only local. If it was made in Denmark, you could bring it. Nah, but if it's yeah. made in England, you can't bring it." And you know, uh, <clears throat> I mentioned this when we talked the other day, but if you go into any bar in Sweden. You'll find beers from all over the world, but you won't find many local beers. And the reason is, mm. is because the bars get under a contract with the distributor and they build a hundred thousand crown tap system. And then they got to buy the beers from them. Right. And mm. uh, so if you go into a bar, they'll have a red lager from Australia or they'll have uh, an IPA from New England. Mm. And they're great. They're great beers. But it's a massive carbon footprint to get a red lager from Australia. Sure. <laughs> and, yeah. and you don't need to, you don't need to destroy the planet to drink a beer. Mm. Uh, mm. And, but people don't think about it. And so at Hoppapalooza, we, we bring this awareness to them and we say, look, there's a great red lager in Tomalila and there's a great IPA in Trelleborg. Right. And they're right here. If yeah. you just knew where to get them, and with Sustainable it, if you order in your local boutique, if you know the name of the brewery, what you want, they'll ship it right to you and you can sure. pick it up in your local store. Yeah. And okay. so we bring awareness to the local business industry and people will order local craft beers. And, you know, it's like I go to Willie's or, or someplace and buy garlic. And I would never buy garlic from China. Hmm. There's a lot of garlic there from China, but China's on the other yeah, side of the planet. Right. Now, I mean, you can get great garlic from Spain, and that's not that far. Mm. Uh, and so I would always choose the Spanish garlic. Yeah. 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 And that's just an example. Yeah. Jeffrey, um, now, when you said that uh, Hop Up Alusa is typically in July. The last Saturday of July. July. And it didn't happen this past. Well, last two years. Because last two years, right. we haven't done it with, uh, with the pandemic. Okay. But possibly the upcoming summer. Yeah. I'm, things, I'm very huh? excited to do it this year. Yeah. 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 And uh, as far as your selection for those that are here in Sweden, I know that you can go into Sustainbolaget. I've seen uh, your beer on there, but they can actually go ahead and, and order to their local. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. If you just, if you go on Sustainbolaget and say you did a search for South Plains or for Funkyland, uh, my clean beers or my sour beers would come up. And then mm. you can order them and have them right. sent right to your local boutique. And also, I mean, my beers, they're not expensive. <clears throat> yeah. I sell my American Pale Ale for nineteen ninety on the shelf. Yeah. And, you know, when I oh, first wow. started, I had it for like, I had it for 25 or 35 mm. crowns I had beers for. Yeah. And people would buy one to taste it. Right. But now, at nineteen ninety, they buy 10 or 12 and take it home for the weekend. There you and go. And because, yeah. And, uh... So I make less per bottle, but I make more on volume. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. for sure. There you go. Yeah. You just got to have like those branded little tiny cardboard box trays so people can Right. clink, 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 clink. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I, I have one quick question. We, we typically ask uh, guests that we've had like their favorite this or their favorite that. 
And what I'm wondering is uh, if you if you were to choose like your favorite Swedish food. Now you have a little bit of food background. What would a sure. what, what would a favorite Swedish food be? You mean like classic? Well, I'm just thinking like a like a Swedish dish, like maybe a Surströmming shake. No, but yeah. no, but no, no. But I'm thinking like <laughs> well, a, you know, any course, I love any fresh course. salmon. So I mean, um, we have fresh salmon uh, two or three times a month at home. Right. And so I mean, I just love fresh fish, and that was one thing that kind of bothered me when I first came here is that all everybody just ate frozen fish. Right. And it was hard to yeah. find fresh fish. Uh. And I mean, why? You're surrounded by oceans. Yeah. And then I finally figured, I finally found where to get fresh, fresh fish. It took me a long time. And, um, but I like to cook fresh fish. And so that's something I love about, I love that I can get local fresh fish. Right. Uh, mm. You know, in California, here they have the North Atlantic salmon. That's, that's, a, that's the one variety of salmon that they mm. have in these waters. And they go up to Norway, it's the same. Mm -hmm. But in California, we have like, six or eight varieties of salmon that are running up and down between Alaska and the California coast. Yeah. Uh, and wow. we have like Chinook and sockeye mm. and all these different uh, kinds. Sure. And some are big and some are I'm little. Sure, right. And yeah. And so I had, you know, but in salmon in, in California is very, very expensive. Yeah. And so when I, when I got here, I thought that salmon was pretty reasonable. Right. Now, what about Grovlax? Oh yeah, I make that. Okay, but you that that's uh, if I uh, if I usually if I get if I buy a whole fish and I've got two big fillets, uh, I usually um, uh, pr preserve one, okay. and you know you just um, you just put sugar on it, uh, mm -hmm. you seal the pores, and then you put salt on it, and you can put some dill on it or whatever, and wrap it up in a cloth, <laughs> right. and you you put it in the fridge and you press it down and you leave it for three or four days or a week or whatever, yeah. you come back and yeah you've got it yeah yeah and it'll last for a long long time yes. Yes. Now, what about if you is there is there you're down in Malmo? Do you have a favorite a favorite tourist spot or a, maybe a a spot there if somebody comes and visits when someone comes to town? Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, if someone comes to town like a tourist or something, I would mm. send them down downtown to like Lilletorg and walk around in the Kings Park. And on the walking street, that's what I would send somebody. Or if they want to go see something, I would often send them over to Denmark and see Copenhagen. Okay. Or uh, go to, <laughs> Welcome go to, to Sweden, uh, leave yeah. the country. We're so, well, we're so close to Copenhagen. It's a fabulous city. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, send them to like Louisiana, the Museum of Modern Art, mm. uh, just north of Copenhagen. And then there's also um, the castle in um, Helsingor, right. uh, Kronoborgslag. Yeah, that's where you know Hamlet took place at. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh. Or Shakespeare wrote about it. Yeah, or something rotten in Denmark. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jeffrey, thank you so much for for joining us, for enlightening sure. us, and bringing us up to speed. Um, My pleasure. Yeah, and we're gonna go ahead and uh, put up some links so that people can go in and check out uh, the brewery as well as uh, check out some more information, read a little bit more about your story. Yeah. Okay. And, and um, did you, would you want to do something like an, another film, like an introduction to the brewery or uh, I could film something if you like, you know what, we'll probably go ahead and do that in, in uh, like a part two. Okay. okay sounds good. <laughs> yeah. But yes. we just uh, wanted to say thank you so much, Jeffrey. 
and we will remain in touch. We'll put up uh, the links with the episode. People can check out more information and then maybe okay. Sean and I will have to take a trip down to your neck of the woods and, uh, and pay you a visit. Yes. Yeah, or maybe yes. we can come yeah. down to the festival if nothing else. Oh, uh, yeah. Give that me, road give trip me the is links happening. Or, or just come visit the brewery. You'd love to do that. <laughs> that um, sounds great. Give me the links and I'll do some Instagram posts or something mm. and, uh, and we'll share it all on social media. Great. Thanks a million, Jeffrey. everyone that will do it for this week's episode a very special thank you to jeffrey scott brown from south plains brewing company for stopping by great to learn about the independent beer making and brewing and cider scene down there in the south of sweden we will put links to all of his relevant profiles in the description make sure you stop by system balagets to check out his latest creations and then come back here next time for more two guys three crowns